The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest with me today is Aaron Kelton. Aaron, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for, so much for having me, Henry. No, we're glad and excited to have you. Looking forward to the conversation today. Uh, I want to read a quote. I think I might have gotten this somewhere online, maybe from your Facebook page. Quote, yeah. I've been described as a smorgasbord aspiring to polymath. I like <laughs> to solve problems and improve the lives of people around me. Now, I, I had to look up. I kind of knew what polymath meant, but I had never seen it used as a verb. So it's the first time I'd seen it used that way. I'm going to ask you in a moment what the heck you mean by that. But I thought it, it's intriguing, certainly. Uh, so yeah. that, that tells you partly why I wanted to have you on your show. It's just intriguing, <laughs> if nothing else. Uh, Aaron is also the founder of Narify, and he's going to fill us in on where he's at with that launch. They are creating a web and mobile platform that lets people listen to online articles narrated by real people. Uh, it's uh, like text-to-speech transcription doesn't do it justice. It's more like because that algorithm lacks that human intuition and intonation. So these are real people reading articles. And we'll get into the idea behind it, how he's gone about launching and developing that business. So very interested to get into that. Uh, Aaron is also a former chemical engineer. And mm -hmm. I believe a Dvorak keyboard user, and I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, I had to look that up as well. Dvorak. Yeah, Dvorak. Dvorak. Oh, Dvorak. So mm -hmm. it's the simpler pronunciation. Yeah. So you're going to explain <laughs> what the heck that is. And uh, you currently live in the Dallas area. Uh, That's right. So in this episode, we're going to chat about your entrepreneurial journey. Aaron's going to be gracious enough to share that with us, insights on how he's been developing and launching this new business, Narify and just in general, tips and advice for small business owners. Aaron Kelton, welcome to the show. Yeah, glad to be here, Henry. So Dvorak, what the heck, that's a new type, that's not a new <laughs> type, it's a different type of keyboard, and why did you invest the time to learn that? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> a really funny story. So uh, like you said, I've got the chemical engineering background. We would solve problems using a programming language called MATLAB. And so I thought I could teach myself programming and be a one-man show, uh, launch this technology startup. And so as I was teaching myself programming, I, I thought, well, hey, it might be good if I could type faster. Right. <laughs> and so I looked into the Dvorak keyboard, uh, and it's just a, a different arrangement of the keys on the keyboard where you have 70% of the most commonly used letters in the middle row. So the idea is you're not moving your fingers as much when you type. And, um it's kind of a, a geeky programming thing to do. And so you are using it? You have a, a, that keyboard attached to your computer or is it, how do you, how do you use it? 
<laughs> yeah. So it took me an agonizing month to learn it. It's 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 much like if you invert the direction on your bicycle handles and try to rewire your brain to get used to that. There's videos on YouTube of that if you want to check that out. But yeah, I have the standard uh, keyboard that comes on the the MacBook laptop, and I just know where the keys are now. Fantastic. Yeah. So and, and of course, most of us probably know or maybe don't know that the QWERTY keyboard was developed in part to slow down the typist because the physical typewriters would get jammed when they were faster typists. Absolutely. And so that that's that's why it makes sense. That it's not the but we've just stuck with it, and so that's very interesting. All right. So then, the whole smorgasbord aspiring to polymath. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> yeah. So I have a, a multitude of interests, and but typically, if I'm going to invest my time in something, I want to do a deep dive and get really good at it. Uh, and so that's the gist of that that little uh, turn of phrase, if you will. Yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> were, were you always that way back into childhood? Some, you concentrated on one thing and took a deep dive? Yeah, I, I didn't realize it until I was older and more intellectually blossomed, you know, during my college years. So it, it, it took a little bit, yeah. Are you? Is it a challenge sometimes in that you spend too much time on something? Is it? Is that become an issue, or have you harnessed it really as a strength? Tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> that's that's a really good question because that that's kind of one of the reasons that the Narify idea came to be in the mm -hmm. first place. Okay, and maybe maybe we'll we'll dive deep into that later in this conversation. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so you went to school. Uh, for engineering, correct? Mm -hmm. that, that's right, yep. And that's you aspired to do, what did you think you would be doing after you graduated college? <laughs> well, Henry, I thought I would be a little further south in, in Houston by now, uh -huh. uh, working on a on a refinery somewhere, designing distillation columns or R&D and catalyst or something like that. But uh, no, right out of uh, college, uh, joined a, a company, NOV, and did some engineering work there, was on the, the path towards sales, and I don't know if you want to get into that bit just right now, but um, yeah, that, that's what I aspired to be to begin with is, uh, you know, I had a, a knack for chemistry and, and mathematics, and, you know, you never know the, the kind of cards that life's going to deal you, and I'm happy where I am now. And you also studied international business in Norway. Was that uh, sometime after college or at the same time? Explain the timing there. Yeah, that was that was during college. It was the spring semester. Took in a course in entrepreneurship, and then that summer went to a little town called Hunafoss, uh, where we studied international marketing and international management as well. So it was about a nine-hour little bit. Um, it was a, a a collaboration between the College of Business and uh, the College of Engineering at Texas Tech. Right, you attended Texas Tech. So. Obviously, then, even back then, you had an inkling towards entrepreneurship then, or maybe more than an inkling. Yeah, I, I really don't know why I, I was interested in that. Um, maybe I just uh, was getting bored and needed something else to do. But even though I this is technically my first business to start, I was entrepreneurial in other regards of just starting organizations, whether it was a student chapter of an organization on campus or later on in, in my career starting a, a user group uh, when I lived in Little Rock. So just that entrepreneurial mindset to think outside the box and kind of carve my own path. But back then when you were in school, was it did you have a clear vision that that's what you would do with launch a business or, or is that not was that not clear yet back then? Mm, 
there were multiple visions that they didn't prescribe any glasses for at the time uh, that, that I might have had at, at one point or another, but, but never foresaw myself where I am today. Okay. And so that was a great way to put it. And, and so you did end up going into sales, and then how did it come about that you decided, I need to go start this business? And I, and I think you left your career and now are doing this full time. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. So I, what, um, did something happen or what was it that finally came to a point where you said, I have to go do this? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. So there were really two things that happened in my life. One, I was a bit disenchanted with my job at the time, even though I really enjoyed um, sales and helping customers solve problems and looking at their applications and diving in with them. So, so there was that coming up, you know, where, where I was looking to make some kind of switch. And then, you know, things you never plan for, like a divorce. And so, you know, it's a it's a sad deal when it happens, of course. But, you know, I, I try to see the silver lining in the in the situation and realize, well, hey, this is my opportunity now to really give the Narify idea a shot because I had originated the idea, I think, back in 2012 or 2013. I think it was the fall of 2012 when I, I first had the idea when I was trying to solve my own problem of consuming uh, content online. Okay, so you've had this idea, it's been working, and then you have this major life event, obviously, that makes you mm -hmm. take a different look at what's going on. And so financially, were you in a position where you were able to say, I'm gonna quit my job and go do this? How was the financial transition into this? Yeah, that's, that's a tough aspect. Um, so since January of this year, of 2016, I haven't had a substantial income like I did when I was in sales. Luckily, I found out that when you're in sales, you can make uh, a lot of good money. Um, and so I did that for almost two years. And so I did have enough to get me by. Uh, also, I think engineers are notoriously frugal. And, you know, you just make some some life changes and some sacrifices. You realize you don't need as much stuff as, as we probably currently have. And, and, and really, you just what I did was I just had this vision where, you know, I want to bring the Narify idea to life. And so with that vision in mind, I made my life fit around that. And how long, when you first started that process, you focused on this full time, how long did you say this is going to take about X amount of time before I'm going to be paying myself anything to live on? And I don't think I know that answer yet. And uh, it's, it's uncertainty, but I'm uncomfortable with that uncertainty and and a lot of it were you know uh, like I said earlier I, I never envisioned that I would be here so so some of it is is just figuring it out you know I never thought I could uh, hack chemical engineering which is you know one of the hardest majors on campus and uh, you just figure it out and keep working hard as you go okay so you have you have confidence that you can figure things out because you've done it before and that that uh, fear or, or uh, I don't think you use the word fear but that not knowing when this is going to pay off, that you mm -hmm. use that as a motivator, I suppose, to keep working at this every day as much as you possibly can, I suspect. Yeah, yeah, I have, I've got to keep working at it. Of course, I have, you know, my own doubts. I, th I think everybody has those doubts that kind of creep into their mind and they think, well, man, if this doesn't work out, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to India? Am I going to uh, hike the Appalachian Trail? Am I going to become a, a yoga instructor? Like, what am I going to do with my life uh, if this doesn't work out? But, uh, but yeah, I, I try to stay, stay positive and, um, you know, keep, keep trucking along. Yeah, or go back and get a job, right? 
But so I well, that's go, what my dad says. Yeah, exactly. That's what he, pre, <laughs> he would probably prefer you to do. Or what? What are, what are the influences there? Do they see this as ridiculous risk based on the schooling and everything that you had supposedly? Yeah, yeah. My my stepmom said recently that my my dad was kind of worried about me, and um, you know, just based on the fact that you know you get out of the job market, you try to do this thing which is uncertain, and if you go two three years and then quit, and you decide to go back into the world working for somebody else in you know, a typical uh, office or desk job, um, is that going to hurt you or is it going to benefit you? And I, I guess it really depends on the culture and the, the people who are hiring for the, the type of skills that I, I might have uh, even learned by then. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's real, real concern. Obviously, you don't know when this is going to take off. You gave up a successful career that you've gone to school for. You had that life-altering event that helped you look at things differently, but there's got to be something that you has crystallized for you that you're driving towards, whether you call it your why or your vision. Would you share a little bit about that? What is it that you that makes you get up every day and and get through the sleepless nights when you're questioning this? What yeah. is it that that you're focused on that's the long-term vision? I guess I should should give some backstory. Um, so when I had the idea for Nerify in, in 2012, I found that there was also an existing company out there started in San Francisco uh, called Umano. And they did something similar where they provided uh, narrated articles to busy people in the form of an app and a website um, so that you could learn on the go, right? But whenever they shut down last year in 2015, myself and about 2 million plus other listeners the narrators and the original content owners um, were kind of left up uh, up the creek without a paddle or down the creek without a paddle, however that's said. Mm -hmm. um, and so I know there's a tremendous, tremendous benefit um, of having this, this product or service um, to have this exist in the world. Um, one of the things I've been doing is, is interviewing former narrators for that Umano platform and there was one locally here in Dallas, so I could sit down with her at a coffee shop, and she said that it enriched her life, you know. Um, and so that that's really what what drives me to keep at the Narify ideas, because I know even if this had to be structured as as a nonprofit or even just as as something on the side that I put my own expenses into to to keep the server costs uh, breaking even, I think it's something that really needs to exist in the world because it provides an immense uh, amount of value to all the stakeholders, the narrators, the listeners, uh, and the publishers. Fair enough. It, it needs to exist. There's a void that enriches people's lives, but why you? Why do you, <laughs> why do you have to do this? Because it's it's not being done um, the way I'm doing it. Uh, there, and, since and so is the appeal for you, the, the creation of it, is that what excites you about this? You know, and I don't even think it is this one thing. Uh, I've shown repeated behavior or patterns of of starting things mm. where I where I see a void, and and perhaps it's just circumstance uh, where I'm in this position at the right time, and and uh, and it just seems of all the options that I can weigh myself uh, doing right now, this one seems the most worthy of where I'm going to spend my time. And so when you find that, and that must have been one of the questions then that you asked yourself when you found yourself at that crossword, 
crossroads is mm-hmm. it, it, this satisfies you building this really satisfies you at your deepest levels and so that's what drives you to do this yeah and, and some people will you know i won't see him for a while and i'll see him and they'll say oh you're still doing that narify thing <laughs> everybody everybody thinks it's a good idea but then you know they're they're kind of surprised when it's oh you're still doing that and that's that's good Interesting. All right. So explain for us again what the idea is, what Narify will be doing. Yeah. Um, so when I started and had the idea in 2012, um, I looked online, I Googled, maybe my search terms weren't the best because I didn't find anything that, that did this, that had human beings narrating articles. Shortly thereafter, I found a, a little company called SoundGecko. And what they would do is take any URL, parse out the article's um, data and give you back a text-to-speech transcription mp3 so you could listen to the robot voice read it back to you and and that was nice for a while but you know like you said in your intro it lacked that human intuition and intonation to keep you engaged uh, and they also shut down uh, in 2015 so uh, they're no more and then uh, found Umano uh, unfortunately they were bought by Dropbox last year in 2015 and then subsequently shut down uh, in the summer. And so, um, sorry, Henry, what was your question again? I kind of well, just describing what it is, what it what it offers, and and so describing it. So I'm I'm getting that from from what you're describing. But just if you could mm-hmm. just summarize what it is that that Narify is going to provide. Yeah. So Narify will provide um, from a listener aspect. So let's address perhaps your podcast listeners. From a listener aspect, if they're too busy to read an article that they're interested in or a particular blog, um, you know, the times that they can do this when they're commuting, uh, when they're exercising, any time that they can't actively focus with their eyes and and their attention uh, on an article. Um, Another uh, group of listeners that would be uh, valued by the Narify service would be uh, the dyslexic and the visually impaired from that cohort that I've t- spoken to. They're really excited about the Narify idea. Uh, so people will be able to consume articles that they otherwise are too busy to read. And it's articles because today I could go and get an audio book, but mm-hmm. uh, there is no one, according to your research, after uh, Yumano, I think is how it's pronounced, disappeared. Mm-hmm. There's no one doing it for articles. And so that type of content today, there's no source other than computer-generated voice. There's no real humans reading articles that can be consumed audio through audio. Right, that's, that's, that's exactly what we're doing. And so, uh, and any idea why, you, why Dropbox bought Yumano? What do you think they were trying to get <laughs> out of it? Um, so now we may be venturing into kind of our, our some of our strategy, okay, which, it, which, so, is, which is which is which, so which we don't have to go there. No, I mean we we can. So, so what I'd like to venture to guess is, whenever Umano started in in 2012, they received I think it was a million or a million and a half um, in venture capital, and they used that to pay themselves and also pay professional voice actors around four dollars an article, maybe sometimes more if it was a longer article. And um, I think eventually they just didn't have the right model, um, maybe had cash flow difficulties, because a, a better acquisition target for them would have been someone like Audible, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, or SoundCloud, which is original uh, content creators for 
music and and podcasts now you can find on on SoundCloud. And I think Dropbox might have had something where those engineers could have applied their craft within Dropbox, and so they wanted some real uh, A team players um, because those drop uh, sorry those Umano engineers are now working for Dropbox. So it was uh, an aqua hire, as it's called yeah, in the yeah. industry. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so what can you share with me about the business model? How do you intend to make money in this business? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. The simplest way, which is, um, you know, it's nice when you're not first to market. You don't necessarily have to figure everything out for yourself. And so, you know, you see Android coming after iPhone and, and taking advantage of that, and there's a multitude of other examples. Um, so one thing Umano did, something Spotify does, you know, Narify kind of sounds like Spotify. You might wonder where we got the name from. Um, so having a premium subscription for listeners so they can have maybe an unlimited playlist, they can uh, download the narrated articles so they can listen offline. And so some other features that we might have for a premium subscription, you know, four or five dollars a month, something like that. And then the other way is further down the line, whenever we grow our listener base to a substantial level that warrants the attention of publishers uh, and advertisers. Uh, we envision a, a narrator marketplace, which is quite similar to how Audible connects voiceover narrators with book authors in, in their Audible Connection Exchange, or ACX, um, where they transact right there and, and connect those two entities. And so we envision maybe something like an Uber model where the publisher or advertiser would pay us and then we give uh, the majority of that to the narrator and then just take a small uh, cut off the top. Oh, that makes sense. So I, that explains then in part my next question if, when you get to that, but what's the benefit to the narrator? So if I understand there's two sides to this. Uh, I'm the content creator. I write an article or some kind of written content. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would like that to be now accessible and available in audio format. On the other side of it is the narrator, the person who is willing, wants to, for whatever combination of reasons, read these articles. But what's the benefit yep. to that person? Yeah, so the benefit for the narrator, and, and there are really two stages. Uh, there's the early adopter. Um, and so these are people who uh, perhaps they need exposure. Um, perhaps they want to share certain types of articles and, and impact a community of their choosing. Um, so narrators can get exposure. They don't have to go to uh, these sites like, I think it's Voices123 or Voices.com where it's uh, quote unquote pay to play. And so we would provide a free public facing uh, profile for that narrator where you know they could have listeners who follow them uh, either based on their voice or the topic or blog that they consistently narrate. Um, so they could develop a following um, and then also get exposure uh, for paying clients uh, outside of the Narrify uh, platform. And in fact, uh, one of the benefits that Umano had for their narrators, as I've been interviewing them, is that that exposure led to uh, future paid gigs for them. So there, there's future value in there as well. And so... And so that's that's the exposure, that's the future value. But if somebody just wants to repurpose content, for example, right now, if I want to share an article, I can either click the share button 
on the website of the article I'm reading. I can copy and paste the link uh, into maybe my Twitter feed, maybe share it with my Facebook friends, put it on LinkedIn. But what sort of impact am I really having? Sure, I, I, I get the, the dopamine feedback that feels good whenever people like and retweet and, and share and, and maybe comment uh, on the article that I've shared, but are people really reading that and being impacted by the the author's or the publisher's message in that article? Um, I think it's highly suspect. And so the benefit to repurposing it by giving it a voice is that people are able to passively consume the content. And so so that's that's the benefit for people who want to share content and and spread messages or ideas. Yeah, it just is intriguing. So now couple of things that I want to make sure I'm clear on. If I, I want to be a narrator, I do I bring the content to it or do I select from content that you tell me I can read or, or narrate, I should say? How does that work? Or is it yeah, either so it, or? It, it is either or. What, what we're building is, and I guess I should state our mission, is that we let narrators share content they love using their voice. Okay. And so... First and foremost, you, if anything has article content and an associated URL that we can link an MP3 file to, then by all means, you are well within your right to narrate that and, and we'll share it on our platform. Um, if somebody needs some suggestions because maybe the stuff they're narrating is obscure and they're only getting you know 10 plays per article that they narrate and we need to curate some material so they can get up to maybe 5,000, 10,000 listens, and, and that really feels good and, and keeps them on the platform, then, then we'll also provide that. Plus, I got to think you're going to have people putting content up there that they want someone to narrate. As the creator of content, is that what the platform will facilitate as well? As I've written an article, and mm -hmm. I want someone at some point to narrate it. Is that part of it as well? That would definitely be part of it. So in, in, a, in a mature platform, you, you would have this uh, narrator marketplace um, where that blogger or that publisher um, could use the Narify platform to, one, get their material narrated, and then two, promote it within the app itself. As a narrator, can I narrate my own content? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And then how do you, how do you I'm assuming you have some kind of... Uh, protocols on what type of content that has to be appropriate within certain guidelines I have to imagine, uh, or is, does anything go? Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, you know, you see sometimes, uh, Twitter getting into, into trouble or, or, or Facebook, um, with, uh, censorship. I, I don't think, you know, there's a very liberal policy when it comes to what you can put online, of course. Um, I think if, if there was, we would draw the line at hate speech, and I think that makes sense. Um, we wouldn't just let, let people rant and rave there. Otherwise, it's, it's very open. You know, we want um, people from the left and the right, you know, if, if they want to share a particular article that, you know, um, you know, supports their point of view, we want to allow the other person uh, on the other side of fence to... Um, be able to share their point of view so people can listen to both sides and you know it's if you're familiar with medium.com you can um, post a response to 
one of the blog posts on medium.com uh, with another blog post, right? So people who finish reading a blog post at the end, it'll say, well, here are some articles that are responses to this. Right. Um, and, and so we'd love to have a feature like that as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, you alluded to if I'm reading someone else's content, it's a URL that I provide. So is there some level of validation that I'm, that I'm actually reading what was written? Can you ask that a different way? So let's say I, I, I there's an article I liked mm -hmm. in Entrepreneur Magazine, and I'm going to narrate it. And maybe mm -hmm. that's not a valid example, but it's someone else wrote this article. How do you mm -hmm. know that in my narration, I actually read the words written by the <laughs> author of the content? That, that's, a, that's a really good question. Uh, early on, we'll be uh, just spot checking. Um, and we'll also have, you know, a policy that the narrators will agree to so that, you know, we don't get, uh, you know, some punk teenager getting on there and just spouting whatever mm -hmm. that, that's not that's not the actual article content. Um, but then uh, later on, hopefully we'll have uh, an algorithm that would uh, transcribe your own uh, narration and then match it up against uh, the original words in the article. I love that. And of course, then uh, if I start doing, if I do that, it's going to affect my rating as a narrator and therefore it's it's going to uh, hurt me and knock me off the platform completely if I abuse it. That's right. And, and, and listeners can follow along, read along with your narration. So they're going to know and they can report back to us to, hey, I've flagged this. You need to check it out. Yeah. Or don't play me anything from this narrator again. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. In that Uber fashion, and in other platforms, listeners are going to rate me. You're going to rate me, and so over mm -hmm. time, I build a reputation on your platform. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Right. It's compelling. It's this is uh, exciting stuff. Um, I think it's yeah. a wonderful idea. Um, yeah. Are you building this business by yourself, or do you have partners? That is that is a great question. Um, I started out thinking I could be the one man show. You know, typing on Dvorak, learning Angular and, and all these uh, these <laughs> frameworks to build a web app and a mobile app. And then I decided I needed some help. And I was new to Dallas. So how do I go about convincing somebody that they should join me and not get paid and do this out of the goodness of their heart and spend their time <laughs> away from their family? Um, so So what I did is... I originally messaged an individual by the name of Kaysen in a meetup group for voice actors because I thought I'd, I'd like to have somebody on in that regard that maybe has some voice acting experience and some some development experience. When I didn't get a message back, I went to LinkedIn looking for this elusive Kaysen. <laughs> well, I, I messaged this particular Kaysen on LinkedIn. Turns out it was a completely different Kaysen, but we met up, we clicked. He said it, it was good timing. He liked the idea. And uh, he's a, an experienced developer, That's and crazy. so so now we're a, a two-man show. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could not repeat that if you tried again. I know. It's <laughs> amazing. All right. And so I know you've also, and, and correct me here if I've got it wrong, but I know you've leveraging incubators, accelerators, mm -hmm. co-working facilities. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that and how you've been leveraging those environments to get this developed and launched. Yeah, so to, so to start, why Dallas? Uh, why didn't I stay in Little Rock where I was? Well, there's a huge startup community here with tons and tons of resources. And it doesn't hurt that I'm originally from Texas and have some friends and family nearby. Um, and so with the co-working spaces, that was really helpful because 
I'm not at my house by myself. I'm not at a library. I'm surrounded by other entrepreneurs who are burning the midnight oil, you know, sometimes just crashing there at their desk or on a, on a couch <laughs> at, at the co-working space, working uh, late into the night. And so you always bump into people, have interesting conversations. It's, it's very organic um, networking. There's nothing artificial about it. It's not fake. Um, and so that's been tremendously helpful in, in fleshing out ideas and meeting the people that I need to meet to, to speak with. For example, also the Dallas Entrepreneur Center uh, the deck in downtown Dallas offers free mentoring. A lot of people don't know that it's free. Uh, they think you have to be a member there. And so they have these volunteers who are very successful and specialized, and you can book time with them and run your ideas past them. And and so that's been tremendously helpful. And then also uh, we're going to participate in Unreasonable Labs, uh, their pilot accelerator, which is a five-day, um, all-day accelerator uh, hosted by The Grove, another co-working space um, in the West End in downtown Dallas. Um, and it's more geared towards social entrepreneurs. And because we have, um, we like to view ourselves as more than just bottom line based, that, that our mission is what really drives us to provide this value to our stakeholders or what we like to call our community, um, we'll be participating in that as well. That's wonderful. So, so far in these experiences with the uh, co-working facility and unreasonable labs, what's the financial investment? Do they take a uh, equity piece? Just give me briefly at a high level how that works. Yeah, co-working is just a monthly fee to use the space. And for this pilot accelerator, um, it's it's just reaping the value of the lessons and the mentorship. Um, and perhaps in the future, we'll pursue an accelerator where they would take equity and also provide in return uh, a lot more uh, capital investment as well. So, so far it's you and your partner are owning this so far and have uh, put it put forth the capital, just the two of you at this point? Yeah, mostly just blood, sweat and tears. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, because the, the barrier to entry in a, in a tech startup is so low, you know, you can get in, in an Amazon uh, account and and use a lot of their startup resources for servers and whatnot completely free like for the first two years it's amazing um, how little capital is required uh, to to start something like this it's the growth part of it that then the capital comes into play so if you're if you're looking forward a bit at that point mm -hmm. you might seek either investment or uh, another another injection of some sort is that kind of the idea and the plan then that you'll bootstrap this part of it as much as possible and then take that next step. <laughs> well that's that's a very interesting question Henry because usually that's plan A and for but for us it's plan B because what we don't want to do is jeopardize our mission by um, surrendering some control and some direction you know putting ourselves in a position where we could get bought and shut down. And, and completely let down um, the users. It's interesting. If you search on Facebook for uh, Umano Dropbox, you know when they make their announcement, we're joining Dropbox. This is great. We'll be shutting down a little bit. <laughs> there are so many negative comments sure. from the listeners who are so disappointed. And they're thinking, well, what about us? <laughs> you know, we, we love you guys. Where are you going? And, and, and so we, 
we don't want to jeopardize that. So we want to bootstrap and, and hustle as much as we can. Yeah, no, I, I get it. It's just it's when it, when you get there as a founder, it's hard to resist that sometimes, especially if you put in years uh, of mm-hmm. effort and time and, and no return for it. I can see where sometimes founders find themselves in a position where they take that option and move on to the next thing. Right. Uh, right. But I get it. Uh, all right. So. Let's talk a little bit more about idea development and launching. I'm just curious as to what your process was. You had that idea that was fermenting back since 2012, and then you finally jumped on it at the beginning of this year, if I got the time frame right. Yep, yep. But, but just tell me a little bit about how you go about developing an idea and a little bit more about that process, in particular the creative aspects of that process. Do you do you just think about it? Do you Did you put together a business plan? Do you sit down and and uh, discuss it with your friends and peers. How do you, how did you go about that? Yeah, so originally I had no idea to go how, how to go about it. My gut was, oh, I need to build a business model and, and, and I'll do that. Uh, but luckily by this time, 2016, when I'm really starting this, this company in earnest, there has been a wealth of development for startup education. And so and there's a lot out there. So I've kind of stuck with the Bible of it, the um, the uh, Startup Owner's Manual by Steve Blank, um, where it's really customer-centric. You know, you have your idea, but that's really just a hypothesis in your head that's untested, and you don't know if it's going to work. And and with the, the high failure rate that startups do have, it's it's been very critical for me to speak with listeners and narrators and publishers so that we ensure we're building something that will benefit them and that they'll use. So are you taking an approach of the, the minimum viable product then that you present to that audience audience, and then it gets validated or, or gets shifted? Is, is that how you went about developing and fleshing out the idea? Yes, that's correct. And so we'll have the MVP or minimum viable product, like you say. Um, and, and given that uh, Kaysen, um my business partner, his development background is more web-based. Mm-hmm. What we're doing first is building the web application instead of trying to do everything at once with the mobile app. You know, let's get this one thing right. You know, they say uh, at least a quarter of podcast listeners, which is kind of our demographic, still listen on the desktop. And so we don't want to neglect that uh, that demographic. And so it seemed the most efficient to start there. And then using a technology like Ionic, where you can build uh, a hybrid mobile app using very similar technology to what we're using for our web app, develop the Android and, and iPhone app as well. Got it. One of the things that I see as a challenge when you're developing this type of a business and taking this approach is that then it, it tends to, that, that go live or launch date tends to slip and slip and slip because it's so fluid. So how, mm-hmm. how do you avoid that? Did you put a stake in the ground saying we're going to have you know version 0.1 out by a certain date? Did you set any of those kind of hard deadlines? How did you keep yourself on target to at least get something done and not let this continue to be a, an ongoing process or project? Yeah, I think all we can do right now is manage the process itself. If you were to say, and, and this is something that goes back to engineering and, and, and learning science in general, is the degree of certainty. With what degree of certainty can we really, you know, Put, a, put that stake in the ground and drive towards that because there are so many unforeseen circumstances that can pop up. For instance, you know, we have, we have to 
keep ourselves clothed and fed. <laughs> and and so, for example, you know, Kaysen was was working on it, had had more time, and then all of a sudden, gets a a short contract gig that he can't turn up or or, or pass by. And so, all of a sudden, that target date now, you know, it's like project management. Now you you don't have that resource time anymore. So what what changes, right? Uh, do you bring on more talent, or do you just automatically push it back? So, really, instead of looking at a particular date um, and working towards that, we try to just manage the process. Are we doing the right things every day and every weekend when we can really uh, spend a lot of time uh, on the startup? Fair enough. All right. So we're recording this in September of 2016. When are you projecting that there'll be something up live and functioning for users? Late fall, early winter. And um, again, it's not feature rich. It's going to be exactly what we say it is, which is a minimally viable product. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. If you look back now from when you first started in earnest on this project, is there anything that stands out that you would do differently as far as the development of this idea? either in how you approached it or were there times when you thought, I look back on that and that was wasted time or effort or was it all good? Mm. Is there something that stands out that you say, the next time I'll do that differently? Yeah, I think it was naive of me to think that I could program, learn, teach myself programming or, you know, to become the sole developer and founder, you know, looking for a, a business partner that believes in the mission and, and, and getting buy-in and, and bringing these people online that I would have done earlier. Uh, and also, I would have taken advantage of more free resources in the sense of the mentors that really want to help entrepreneurs succeed. Uh, and they're, they're abundant in, in big cities like Dallas. They are, yeah. And you're, you're discovering these now sometimes for the first time as you're going through this. And then the, That's the, right. the next time around, you know to tap into those resources early and often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll start to just wrap this up. What do you think so far in your life and in your experience and in your business career have been some of the keys to your success? Hmm. Keys to my success. Right. Whether it's think, something that's personal or in, in, in how you go about business, what do you think mm-hmm. has been key to the success you've had? I would say, and, and this is something that I guess I've I've always kind of done since I was a kid, you know, starting my first jobs in uh, in high school, is I always put my hand up when somebody needs a volunteer. You know, whenever we had class, I would always sit on the front row. So I was eager and interested. Um, I think that's been a very strong indicator of my success, that if I were to go back in time and remove one or two of those elements, uh, I would have turned out much different today. And so that, uh, I, th- I think that's... Uh, the key to my success. Yeah, yeah, that intellectual curiosity that you seem to have always had. And that's also yeah. why these, these new challenges appeal to you, right? Because you're learning so much as you go through it, and you love that part of it, it seems. I, I also think there there is a bit of me proving myself to myself and to others. And so I think that also drives me. Wonderful. All right, you mentioned Startup Owner's Manual as a great book. I'll have that in the links is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend to our listeners absolutely there are two books actually that uh, have really shaped my attitude and my perspective and how i interact with others um 
The first one is Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, where she talks about, uh, you know, being vulnerable with the people you're around and living wholeheartedly. Um, so there's that. And then there's a beautiful expose on honesty and lying in a book uh, titled Lying by Sam Harris. And those two books combined have have really increased, I guess, my authenticity so that I'm just more comfortable and, and, and confident in, in, in what I'm doing and, and how I interact with others. Fantastic. Thanks for those recommendations. And we'll have links to all of those books in the show notes page for this episode. Mm-hmm. And you can find that at thehowofbusiness.com. All right. Final two questions here. Final thoughts, parting advice for our listeners as we bring this episode to an end. Yeah, I would, I would say for my own shameless plug, uh, you know, keep, keep Narify in mind whenever um, you have an article that you want to read but don't have time. Otherwise, as, as an entrepreneur, for, for me personally, there's some people that have an even kill. But I would say the last parting bit of advice is you're going to be on rocky seas. You're going to be the ups and the downs, and you're going to get seasick, to use that analogy. So surround yourself with people who can keep you up, whether it's a co-working space, whether it's mentors, or just going to meetups um, where you're interacting uh, with these types of people and having the conversations to uh, keep your motivation up. Yeah, great advice. And where would you like to, people to go online to find out more about you and about Narify? Yeah, so Narify is uh, N-A-R-I-F-Y dot com. And on Twitter, it's at Narify app. And it's facebook.com slash Narify app, the the primary ways you can reach us. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron Kelton with two A's. Fantastic. And we'll have links to all of those links on the show notes page at thehowofbusiness.com. Aaron, it's been extremely interesting, very enlightening chatting with you. Thanks for taking the time to be with us on this episode. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Henry. Our pleasure. Folks, this is Henry Lopez. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.